Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Rev Covery. This is our 80th episode, uh, which is just incredibly exciting. This has been an amazing journey. And we thank you so much for your support and your listening to us uh, most every week and and for being on this journey with us um, as we move uh, into whatever the next thing is. Um, and this is a podcast about moving into the next thing. Uh, my name is Justin. My co-host is Sarah. You're going to see us here in just a little bit. And uh, this week we interview Derek Webb. Uh, Derek Webb, for some of you, needs no introduction. For others of you, maybe a little bit is helpful. Uh, Derek Webb was a member of a band in the in the 90s, I think, maybe in the early 2000s, uh, Cadman's Call, um, which was a Christian band. Uh, he then uh, became an independent singer, songwriter, and just kind of slowly over the time, his beliefs changed and his music changed and kind of reflected every little piece of the journey he was on. And so we, as he moves into the next thing, it was uh, delightful for us to sit down with him and just talk about what uh, that evolution looks like. And so... Uh, I, I think you're going to love this conversation, and it was it was delightful to have, and I, it's uh, going to be delightful to listen to. Uh, just one bit of business before we get on. If you would like to take the conversation uh, around this podcast uh, into a group of people that are like-minded, uh, we would love for you to check out our Discord. You can check that out at patreon.com slash revcovery, and that will give you all the details there. You can sign up for a pretty low price per month. Uh, helps support the show, helps keep the lights on, and also um, gets you a, a great community of people that um, support each other through these tr- various transitions that we're all in and helps you move into the next thing. Okay, so without further ado, uh, this is our interview with Derek Webb. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Recovery. I'm one of your hosts, Sarah, and my other host is... Uh, Justin Gentry. Justin Gentry, who takes a real long pause because that's the way he likes it. It really, <laughs> see, well, it's honestly because you, sometimes your intros are, I, I never know how long the intro is going to be. So I'm like, I'm, I was in mid, I was preparing to sip the tea. That's the magic, baby. We, that's the, that's the keep them on their in. toes. We jumped right. I should have been, I should have been right. I don't want, I don't want our co-hosting relationship to get stale as I like to. Mix it up a little, Anya. Mix it up. Thank you. <laughs> Today, we are so excited to uh, be able to have a conversation with our friend Derek Webb. Um, I've already done the intro of you, Derek, but I've got to say it's so fun to see you again and um, this amazing tour you are on right now. We're going to get into that a bit. But first, we're going to ask you the question we ask all humans on the show, and that is, how long were you in for? Whatever that means for you, whether that was how long were you in the evangelical church for how long were you in contemporary Christian music? Whatever it might be. How long were you in for? And then the fun part is, and, and why did you serve? 
Yeah. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I love that. I love that as an icebreaker. And I'm going to have to kind of talk out the math because I'm not, I don't know it off the top of my head. It's complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, um, uh, some friends and I in 1992 started a band in Texas, Cademan's Call. Yeah, heard of it. And we, well, I mean, in, if you're from Texas, you definitely would have heard of it. If you were from Texas and were around in the 90s. But, um, and, but that, you know, we, we were college age. That, I, that was the same year I graduated from high school. And so we were um, trying to be the Indigo guys. I mean, we were like trying to <laughs> mm-hmm. write and, and mainly like we were trying, we, we loved, uh, you know, uh, intense acoustic folk rock music and we were not hearing our stories or soundtracks or perspectives being communicated in the subculture of Christian uh, contemporary Christian music or Christian culture, whatever that evangelical Christian culture, we weren't hearing any of that anywhere. So we, because there was a lot, there's a lot of music for like youth and, and kids. There's a lot of music, a lot of bands, a lot of things kind of aiming at those things. folks. And then a lot of, veg, a lot of singing vegetables. And then there were a lot of kind of contemporary artists and singers that were kind of for twenties, thirties, but that college age time when, arguably you're making some watershed decisions about the trajectory of your life. You're lighting some pretty big fuses around that time and the music disappears Mm -hmm. and the culture gives nothing to, uh, and I think that's probably because college students are poor. They don't have any money. And so Mm -hmm. like when you're, when you're in the youth group, your parents have money, you can spend money when you're in the working, you know, when you're like a working person and you have a job, then you have money, but advertisers aren't super, uh, interested in, uh, content that is uh, it appeals to uh, people who don't have any money, and that's college students. So I think maybe that's why it happens. I'm not trying to, but um, anyway. So that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to make music that was soundtrack for what we were experiencing at that time when faith was getting complicated, um, and just that classic thing that happens when you go to college and you move out of your parents' house. And we were an indie band for two or three years. Uh, three or four years, maybe, or whatever it was. And um, and then we got signed to a record deal. Our first record deal, I think we got signed in like 96, maybe. And so about three or four years. And to a like a mainstream label, Warner, it was it's called it was called Warner Alliance, and it was an imprint label in the Warner Brothers uh system. And what happens is when you're a band and you sign a record deal, they are trying to figure out how who your music is for and how do they market it to those people and how do they put in front of those people? And they discerned about us pretty quickly that Christian was the category. That was, that's, that was where they needed to focus for us because, um, uh, you know, when they would hang out with us, that seemed to be, you know, the, uh, the language that, you know, we were familiar with and the shorthand that we used. And we certainly all of us grew up in that one of our members and kind of our, our, arguably our, our leader, our visionary cliff young, his dad was, uh, is still my God, the pastor of a huge, huge, uh, Baptist megachurch in Houston, um, Ed Young senior. And so they, they knew that was a huge part of our deal. So that's where they put us. And we did not feel the effects of that though. Like we, we, we were playing colleges mainly. Um, uh, we, 
you know, so it wasn't until probably, uh, I'm now, so I'm getting to my numbers finally. It, it probably wasn't until 99 that we started to feel the pressure. Um, and it's its own long story of like what was happening during that time. But that's, it was probably a couple years after we got signed to our first record deal that I remember things like we went up on the radio, on Christian radio, because that's where they put you in your, when they're, mm-hmm. when you're marketing you as a Christian band and, and which nobody, everybody thought, um, that would, we would fail on the radio because that nothing like what we were doing was being played on the radio, but, um, strangely it worked and we actually, and, and that's because we had an incredible radio uh, guy, Chris Hauser, who is He's still the a best. hero He's- and a dear friend. And I know I, mo- yeah, mo- mo- I figured you would know him. And so he was like the in-house radio guy and he managed to get us like five or something. Number ones off our debut record. I mean, it's, it wasn't a thing anybody saw coming. It, the, the great problem that it caused was suddenly our booking agents wanted to put us in churches rather than colleges because they could get more money. It, they were bigger crowds. If you're on Christian radio, that's the easy place to market is into, into churches. So they pivoted us into church and, and we were still, we were just showing up, setting up, playing the same, but you, we were feeling it shift around that time. So I'm going to say that it was probably, it started to dawn on us around 98, 99 that, oh my God, we're a Christian band. Like we're, <laughs> we're like, like we're, mm-hmm. we're part of the Christian, like the Christian cultural institution. Like we're, we're in the zeitgeist now. Um, that's not where we ever saw ourselves. That's not what we imagined. And we were always very kind of, dogmatic about like, we're not, a, it was that, it was when that language was being developed, I feel like in those early mid nineties of like, we're, we're, we're a band of Christians. We're not a Christian man or whatever, whatever. Yeah. But, um, and it, and it was around that time that we realized and we were like, oh, like we're, we're in it. And so now we're feeling the responsibility. Started serving. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, mm-hmm. um, so that's like my quick answer is probably would have been around 99. Um, you know, which what is about 25 years. And so, but then, so here's my, my slightly more complicated answer. Um, I was in that band for about 10 years till about the early 2000s. And, I, and, and I've been in a solo career ever since. So I'm about 20, uh, about 23 or four years, whatever, into a solo career. Probably a good 15 years of that, I was still, um, we were talking just before this and I was saying that, um, uh, it, you can make a living gnawing on the hand that feeds you as long as you do it from day one. And I went into my solo career gnawing on the hands that fed me. And, and, and that was part of what I was doing. The people who signed me understood that and they, they liked me doing that. They tolerated it. They supported it, but I was still in it. I was still in it. Mm-hmm. And it, and, and then, um, in 20, like 15, 16, 2014, um, I went through some big personal life changes and failures. I went through a divorce, um, and which re and, and which was like public ish just because, um, you know, when you, when you kind of have a, when your job is kind of in the public a little bit, that, that becomes everybody's business in a way that if yeah. I had been an insurance adjuster, like it wouldn't have affected my work in any way. Um, uh, my colleagues wouldn't have even, you know, known or whatever. Uh, and that's fine, but it definitely, um, that was the, where the fuse was lit on kind of what I would now look back and call a deconstruction. And I didn't have that language then. Um, but just the, uh, the, you know, uh, 
an audit of all of my presumptions mm. about invisible reality. That's what I, you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's what I went through around that same time when I was going through all that personal change. And, and by, and by 2017, I put out a record called fingers crossed. That was kind of my breakup record, um, you know, with the faith or whatever. But, um, but so here's where, how I'm going to finish. I know this is a long answer, but no, it's great. Here's what's interesting is then a few years later, 2019, uh, maybe, I put out a follow-up record called Targets. And Targets, was, Fingers Crossed was a very sad and very heavy record. It's a I real can't play a lot album. of those songs. It is. And it was mm -hmm. kind of a, I, I, I kind of have called it my tale of two divorces because it literally was like vertical, horizontal all at once. It was like songs about all of it. Everything, everything that made me me up until about when I was about 40 years old, in, in the, over the course of about 18 months, all... Uh, unraveled. And suddenly nothing that had ever made me, me was in place anymore. Mm -hmm. Like nothing, all of it was gone. Yeah, And so I just felt like I was, um, you know, like looking directly at it with no, you know, I, I didn't even, and, and when you're a creative person and your job is to look at the world and describe it, to, to tell people what you see when you, when you look at the world, the grid through which I had looked at the world for my whole adult life and most of my adolescence, which had been evangelical Christianity, was gone. The grid was gone. Yeah. And so it's like looking right at the matrix. I didn't know what I was seeing. I didn't know how to describe it. It gave me some real writer's block for a few years. I didn't know how to write my way out of it. And here's the end of my answer. The thing that propelled me or somehow enlarged me from my writer's block and being stuck around that time um, and I brought up the targets record, which was the follow-up because that was kind of my defiantly joyous, my joyously defiant, you know, record that was like, okay, enough grief. I'm, I'm, and it wasn't reconstruction. I, I, I hate these words because, you know, every, everybody has a different definition for these words. And a lot of people think deconstruction is only okay if it leads to reconstruction and that sort of mm -hmm. thing. I don't think, I think that's very binary and rigid and I don't like any of it. But the, the, the point I'm making is it was like my, it's time to move forward. I'm, I'm, I'm done living um, in a house in a graveyard. You know, like I need to move out of here. I can't live here anymore because nobody can live here with me. And I needed to move on. You know, I fell in love. I got remarried. You know, I kind of found my voice a little bit again and kind of found my legs under me finally after, you know, some just not knowing my equilibrium for a minute after all that, after going through all that. And, um, what pulled me out and what got me writing again and what kind of relaunched for me, what relaunched my career as a songwriter was I started to think, what do people need? What language do people need in order to express themselves? And let me say, a, a few, let me put a few more words on it. Um, I had always thought that the job, for instance, of a worship leader in a church, like a music director or a worship leader, or somebody who curates and, and, and leads the hymns or whatever at a church, that I've, I've always thought to myself that their job, the job of a worship leader, music director, is to provide people with language to confess things they wish to believe. That's how you curate mm -hmm. what hymns, what worship songs. You, you, you have to yeah. know that community and present them with language that they can use, that they can embody and to say the things that they wish to believe about themselves and about the world and maybe God or whatever. And after the response of fingers crossed, most people wanted to tell me their, for lack of better words, you know, or to, for the sake of efficiency, they wanted to tell me their deconstruction stories. Like people wanted to tell me their breakup stories mm -hmm. yeah. um, with the faith. And that was all the response I was getting wasn't about the record. It was about people wanting to talk about it. And I realized, wow, they're, 
there, there must not be en- enough safe places for people to talk about this stuff because I'm receiving it. Um, some friends and I actually started a podcast called the airing of grief as a result because we, and where we recorded phone calls with, where people would anonymously, I'd get on the phone with them and they would tell their, their, their breakup stories. And we would collect those topically and anonymize the people and then air those things. And, and it was, a kind of went along with all, all that work at the time, but it was around, it was the point I'm making is after seeing that response and realizing the impact that it could have on people who were going through or had been through what I was experiencing. It was in the first time in all these decades I'm talking about of a career as a songwriter. It was the first time that I felt that feeling of, oh, like this is um, deeply comforting for people. It can be comforting for people to hear their stories told by somebody else, that means that they're not alone. That means they're not the only people who've ever gone through it. That means yeah. that it's that maybe they can get through it. That means that there's, it's like for somebody to have to pick up the 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 breadcrumbs along the way and to to kind of mm-hmm. share that thing. There there are very few people who have done that when it comes to spiritual things. Dave Bazan's one of the very few who who has kind of has as uh, kind of uh, left a witness when it comes to yeah. g- the going through of all of this stuff. And so once I realized, oh, like what I can contribute um, or the way that I can work my way through the writer's block and the, is to contribute like something where I found nothing. So I couldn't find a lot, a lot of songs about spiritual deconstruction. I, I could find hardly any songs about divorce and records. I needed like a, somebody to give me an hour on that. I couldn't find that anywhere, hardly anywhere. Mm-hmm. Nobody had really. And I thought, okay, well then I can contribute. Once I, once I had my air in my lungs again, I was like, I should write something and leave something behind where I found nothing so that whoever comes after me at least finds one more thing um, as a result. And so Mm -hmm. that got me writing again. And the point that I'm making with all this is that I very, I I accidentally, again, backed into, um, for the first time in all of my decades in this job, just in the last five or so years, uh, as of about five years ago, I literally consider myself in vocational ministry. Mm-hmm. I, I am literally a vocational minister now. I mean, like, which is to say, I am doing this primarily for the benefit of people who will hear it in order to provide for them language that I hope resonates and makes them feel less alone. And I, that was never my motivation before. And for 20 you know, years of Cademan's Call Music, everybody thanking us for, oh, your ministry, thanks for your ministry, thanks for the... I, that was not, we weren't, I was, yeah, a, I was a vocational, <laughs> no, I was never doing, I can tell you that I was not showing up every day to do ministry, to win people over mm-hmm. to my way of thinking, to evangelize or proselytize. That is not what I was doing. That is not why I showed up to work. I showed up to work to write songs, the best songs I could and perform them the best that I could. I was a, I, that, that was my vocation. Does accidental ministry or whatever happen in almost any job? Of course it does. It was not my motivation at all. Not my intention. Here in, in 2024, I can tell you, the, the thing that gets me up every day to do the work and write the songs and play the shows is in hopes of it helping people. And mm-hmm. this is new. This is in the last five years. And so yeah. I was in it. I was out of it for a minute. And now I'm actually back in it, but I mean it this time. And so, you know, and I know why. And I, I and so it, it's a weird, I mean, that's the only way I know how to answer that question. It would be. It is such a good know, answer. I was. Um, so people can't, not everyone can see if you're listening to the podcast, but I have a terrible filter on my camera because it's got like, so you probably can't tell, but I got some tears in my eyes. And the reason being the language that you used around, um, you know, 
sort of this idea of like, I used to be able to, I used to have words for this and the grief that comes. So many of the people, myself included, those of us who have left ministry or left doing that work, we don't know how to articulate and you articulated in such a lovely way, the grief uh, that comes with that. So that filter you talked about, we, we would perform, if you will, we would give messages that um, had one filter. And when that filter is gone, when the work around that is gone, you really are left with who am I, what am I about and what good am I bringing into the world? That's the thing Mm -hmm. we hear again and again from folks uh, in our, we have like a discord channel for folks who listen to the podcast. And, and then also just people who come up and do the same thing that you're talking about, who come up and say to us, Hey, I've never had a place where I could say I'm, you know, shifting in my faith and I'm still in full-time ministry. And it's not a safe space for me to have those conversations. I'm not even allowed to question Mm. that. My belief is tied to my paycheck. What do I do about that? And so Mm. for you to be able to say these things in a way, and even now creating spaces for people to be able to be honest, um, it's, it's nothing short of life changing because we ourselves know what it's like to sit and feel. I don't know that there is isolation as much as feeling not only separated from your former colleagues, but feeling, right. Feeling like you, um, there aren't other people who have gone through it. And Justin and I've talked about it before. Also, sometimes people who are still in ministry, look at you in a way that, um, mm-hmm. is really hard. In fact, I had a, a, my, uh, therapist that I go to actually said today that, you know, I, I would prefer if you started talking about not working for the church anymore in a way with yourself and with others like divorce. Sarah, you gave your entire life to something and it turned Mm -hmm. its back on you. And there's, there's all this stuff that if, if someone was talking to you this way about a divorce, you would have much more grace than you do for you just left a career that you had been in. And funnily enough, Mm -hmm. I met Derek. I don't know if you remember this was years and years ago. You played a little show at at Duke university and I was in grad school Mm -hmm. and my friend, he had just got a dove award and he was heading for, so much. He had really bought into that whole Christian yeah. world. And I didn't know Chris at the time yet. We became good friends later. And so I like came up to you and I, I had, I was just like, look, I, can you mentor my friend? He's like on a crazy course. Like he, he wasn't being honest about the questions he was asking. And it led to years and years of just like crazy behavior um, because he literally could not be honest about the questions that he was having. And um, it's been so neat to watch you create spaces and more and more and more. And I think it's important mm-hmm. for people to hear, but there was a time where you allowed yourself to sort of not have to put something out that didn't feel real. And I think a lot of people listening might feel a little bit like I did, like, Oh, that feels so familiar that like, I, how do I look at the world anymore? Right. Well, and like the loss of language can't be, you can't overstate mm-hmm. how huge that is when you lose your words. Because, and you lose like your, your vernacular and your framework, like when you lose your framework and cause I know for me, all of my years of very intense theological study or whatever, mostly was during my Cademan's years. And when we were like, I, I literally like had Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, like giant hardback, like in my bunk, that thing's huge. you know, I mean like, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. I mean, it was literally like that. And so, but, but the thing that as I look back on it, it wasn't re- mostly what I was looking for, and and mostly the mostly the wars that were going on intellectually between people. It was they were just it was it was words. It was it was words. Like if you experienced something 
that I experienced, but you use a, but you, you articulate it a different way and you use different words to talk about the experience that you had that I'm using, then I am not done with you. And I'm going to win you to my set of words. Mm -hmm. I need you to talk about your faith experience with my words. My words are the right words. And it's like, it just feels like all the, all the, the battles were over words. They weren't even over truth about like what really happened, what, what's really happening. It was all about words. And so when you lose all that, it's huge because it's like, I mean, my, my theology, as I imagine it in my mind's eye, it was like a Harley. I mean, I was tinkering with it constantly and like mm-hmm. tweaking it, tinkering mm-hmm. and, and like, and, you know, and like, and as I'm focusing on this part, this part loosens up and I got to go, now I got to work on this part. And it was a constant negotiation with these, with all this language. And then suddenly it was gone. Like all the language was gone. Like I, I didn't even, I didn't even know how to talk about. I didn't even, for a long time, I didn't even want to talk or know how to talk about like there even being a spiritual layer to reality. I was like, I'm not even sure that that's a real thing. I don't even know. I don't know that anything yeah. beyond the, the, the immediate demonstrable, like if I, if there's not literal evidence that I can sense with my senses and my faculties, I can touch, smell and hear and see. And then I'm, I'm not sure I'm. I'm not on board. I, and for a while I needed it to be that serious. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. I'm nothing's getting in. Nothing's getting in. I, I'm, I'm an, I'm a no more belief, no belief, no belief, no faith, not, yeah. not any, not anything. And I mean, it took me a while to even reconstruct something like cause and effect where I was like, okay, I think that is a thing that does operate in reality. I think, I think that, that as I see like the, what the the way you behave, you know, like comes back. What you radiate, you attract. What you, you know, it's 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 called a lot of things. It's karma. It's it's cause and effect. It's you know whatever it may be. But you know that like th- shit comes back to you. It comes back to you, mm-hmm. and that and and I would see. I just feel like I would see that it does. It comes back, and and I remember it. It was kind of a big deal for me. I was like, okay, there's like a single brick back in the wall. And it's cause and effect. I think I'm willing to say that is a thing that's part of the structure of how reality works. Maybe not. Maybe not. But it's it's interesting. So it took me a while. You know, I had to start with yeah. zero. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I I think for like especially for people that were in professional ministry or even if even you know professional you know like you're you're still being as an artist your theology is being evaluated. Yeah. It's it's you know right. oh you slipped up in this in this interview like. Um, and, and when you're in that environment, there's, there is this, like, I am holding on to this as tight as I can. That's right. This is my income. This is my livelihood. This is, and, and I see so many pastors, like when, once, once you do let go or it's ripped out of your hands or whatever, there is this, like, I'm not touching anything ever again. Right. <laughs> like, right. I'm, I am done. Well, it's with like having this. your heart broken. And so you it don't, is. you're, it's like hard to love yeah. again. And, it, but it's like, and, and especially like you're talking about when it's, when it's your livelihood and when you're in like literal vocational ministry position or whatever, you, you could slightly adjust a couple of words in the ways that you express a spiritual reality. And it could suddenly disqualify you from a whole denomination of work. Because mm-hmm. that is not, we are not okay with those. Those are not the words we use. And so, you know, and it's suddenly like you, and, and then you have to deal with the very real anxiety of not letting that slip and making sure you stick to 
the 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 words, the talking points, the you know the the vernacular. You got to stay in it, and if you're not careful, then people will start to sniff it out, and they'll start to you know because we're so sensitive about it, and we hear it. We because I remember uh, having a sensitivity to like every time there was a big uh, faction, you know, like, and, and there was a big controversy, theological controversy for like the, the tight corner of the internet that cared and cares about that sort of thing. It feels like it's the whole world when you're there. And it turns out mm-hmm. it's like not, it's, yeah, it turns it's out like, not at all. Yeah. It's like literally not even a, a real thing, but, but, um, I remember like when, uh, love wins came out or whatever, you know, I'm just trying to give any example. Yeah. Or when, or when, uh, uh, God's politics, which I guess was Jim Wallace. Jim Wallace, maybe, but yeah. Like, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so whenever like one of these, whenever some a big thing would come out, and it would be like a a line in the sand or a flag in the ground, and everybody fe- felt like they had to kind of read it and then have a position on it, and they needed to square their words with these new words, because now we're what we're talking about, we're we're questioning hell, which which kind of pulls the thread a little bit on inerrancy, and oh my God, what's happening? You know, it's like, and so you have to be. And I remember having a real sensitivity to like, you'd be in a conversation with somebody. And I, I remember like, this is so, my God, I, I can't relate to the person who I was. I'm so grateful to say I can't relate. I can't relate to many people who I've been. But um, <laughs> I remember back in those days when, the, when that theology, man, it mattered a lot. That hardly mattered a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember like being in a conversation with somebody, we'd be talking about something and I would hear some words. And in my mind, I remember thinking, uh, you're one of those. Theist. Open theist. Mm-hmm. I remember that was yeah, a big yeah, one for me theist. too because I was a Calvinist. So I was like, yeah. oh boy. Well, this like I – or um, – and this obviously I, – n- I don't mean any of this to be pejorative. These are just opinions that people have. They're all just opinions. None of it's truth. It's just right. we have opinions about things. None mm-hmm. of it's actually anything rooted Which in anything. Which comforting fiction would I like to <laughs> That's, preci- that's precisely right. Yeah, what's like, my opinion about this thing? And I remember like, you know, I'd be talking to somebody and I would hear a little bit, I'd hear some words. I was like, oh, Roman Catholic, Roman Catholic. No mm. wonder we're, I was a Calvinist. I mean, I love Martin Luther. I was like, well, no wonder we're fighting. Okay. I, because I was like, oh, well, our problem in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, our problems with authority. Like I'm, I'm a, I'm a soul scripture guy and you're like a, you've got, you know, all the prongs of, of equal authority that the Roman Catholics have. So you've got purgatory. I don't have that because that's not in my you know, uh, that's not, you know, in my Bible and the Bible is the only thing I'm allowed, that's allowed to say an authoritative word to me. So I don't have your things. And so I can't, so yeah. So like, we, we, like we're too far downstream from the things that matter. Like, why are we, let's just stop talking. Well, and and then also I'm here and you're here. Like, oh, exactly. Oh, oh, you're one of those, you know? Um, and I actually had this conversation with a guy who was, um, who was concerned about my faith, uh, had called me up. This is like years and years and years to have coffee, bro. years and years later. No, we, um, it was over the phone and I thought we were just shooting the shit, catching up after 20 years of mm-hmm. not chatting. And he was like, Hey, I just wanted to ask you about something. He starts asking me this question. And I said, Hey, can I just stop you there? Can I ask, um, do you go to a church that would be, can, has the word reformed been said in your church? He's like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? And I was like, well, I just need you to know. It's not that I don't know what you believe. I actually have a, a master's in this. So it's not that I don't know what you believe. It's um that I don't <laughs> right. believe what you believe. And I am fine with you believing Tulip. I was like, total depravity, like listed the whole thing. He's right. like, how do you know all that? Right. I was like, again, have a master's in it. Um, it's right, not that I don't. Right. Yeah. Like, and, I, I, and I think if that's great for you, if, the, like, if those are the words you want to use. Right. And it freaked him the hell out. 
I'm sure it, it did. did. Like he was like, but what about know. your salvation? I was like, I'm not that worried about it. <laughs> like, and I went into right. I'm I was fine. in physical therapy at the time for a running injury with a bunch of guys who were hilarious. And I went in there and they're like, what conversation were you having on the phone in the lobby? I was like, well, right. check this out. A guy tw- from high school called me because he was worried about my salvation. And they were like, aren't you a pastor? And I was like, ah, I am indeed. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I am. And he was like, Incredible. wait, didn't you like go to a school? For-? I was like, mm-hmm, you sure did. All right. I sure did. And they were like, mm-hmm. are you worried about your salvation? I was like, not today. I was not like, especially. not really worried about it. No, yeah. I'm good. Like, yeah, when, when I was leaving ministry and kind of walking out of at least, I don't know what I am now. And I'm, I see, actually, here's the interesting thing. Like, when I was in it, like defining what I was in this authentic way was everything. Everything. Just the whole thing. Like, you know, like I am a, I am a Christian. I am a Protestant. I'm, you know, like I, yes. you know, like, and, and I, I remember the moment where it was like, I just don't care anymore. <laughs> like, it's just like, like it, it just like, I, I guess I'm an agnostic, but yeah. I, I don't care. Like I just, whatever the, like, um, it's a real shift because yeah, because like you said, a minute before, not only did you care, but like your whole identity and eternity hinged on it. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and all of a sudden you're like, wow. I mean, it's, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a major thing. It's a, it's a major liberating thing to suddenly be free, even just for a minute of the, of the preoccupation of what, where am I going? What does it all mean? Who am I? What do I call myself? How do I identify? And even more so now other people, like it's right. liberating to start thinking, well, yeah. getting rid of those, like, oh, I don't need to yes. know or care where you're at Yes, for us to have a relationship that is like, yeah, we could have a relationship with everybody because we knew how to love everybody, Yeah, but to be in deep, intimate friendship with people who complete, it isn't dangerous. It's not scary. And all of a sudden, like I had one guy, um, I tell this story all the time because it, in fact, I saw him the other day, we were talking, he's like, remember that day I came over to your house and I was like, I can love everybody. He was like, it must've sounded so weird to you. But it was like, all of a sudden I was unwrapping all this stuff that I carried around forever growing up in this evangelical setting. Yes. And all of a sudden you were like saying to me after years of you being my pastor, all of a sudden he like knocked at my door at night and was like, I can love everybody. And I was like, wow. Yeah. And he's like, it feels so good. I don't have to worry about my wife's right. salvation. Cause she's got, she, that's her deal. And he's like, I don't, whoa, he was so excited. Right. Well, it's, and what it, and what it is, is it's like, it is. And it, it because it's like, um, it's, it, it, it's, it's like all at once the whole, the deck is completely cleared of all love's conditions. Yeah, because that mm-hmm. is so much of what I experienced in evangelical Christianity was behind the scenes. What we were really doing was was like basically interpreting and negotiating very complicated algorithms of conditional love. That's that's what it was. That's what we were doing. And so everybody you'd meet, as you'd hear their story, they're like, "Okay," and you're just you're drawing long, you're drawing lines in the sand, and you're like, "Okay, so here, so so where where do I need to like? We can be friends." But I have, I need you to know that I'm not okay with the following things about your lifestyle. As long as you, as long as I'm, can I say that out loud? And, and I'm we're free friends at of, this level then. Because right. you cannot love right. someone mm-hmm. that you do not know. You can't love something that you don't know or, or are willing to like hear. Yeah. 
Like, like I love you and I guess I can be seen with you in public, but I, I won't go to your wedding exactly. and I won't like, I, I won't meet your friends. Like, but, but, but I love you. I love you. I love yeah. you actually in a way that is so profound that it doesn't feel like love, but it is. Trust me. Okay. Like, right. You're going to love this. Well, you know, it's, <laughs> you're going to love the way well, I love and, you. And, and, okay. And I, and I'm, I'm, it's, and this is good. It's good that it's coming up this way because what that reminds me of and a big part of it that finally helped, and I'm writing about this right now, weirdly, um, here in 2024, but um, is that when you start saying things like that, when you start, mm-hmm. like when you start, when you go to somebody and you're like, Hey, like I need, you know, but when, cause you're concerned about the relationship, you're concerned about your, how you're being perceived. So you go to, you go to somebody who culture might, uh, treat that, that, that evangelical culture might treat as complicated. You go to that person and you say, Hey, listen, I need you to know, like, like I, I don't have any problem. I love you. I don't have any problem. So like you and me, like I, I need you to know, but like when it comes to, you're kind of whispering it. And I remember literally having the thought of saying, and I've heard people even say, like, I wish I could tell you that what you're doing is okay. I do. I think it's okay. I think it's beautiful. I don't have any problem with it. Unfortunately, and here's the, the way it's not said, that is the truth. Unfortunately, g- God is not as loving as I am, like God <laughs> exactly. is not, exactly I am more it. like when, when you find yourself to be more loving than a loving God is when you need to reevaluate, you need to reevaluate because yeah. either you have, <laughs> well, well, no, and neither am I. And so it's like, either you have to become an atheist to a not real God or you have to, so you either have to like one way or the other, there's reconfiguring to do. You need to, you need to pump the brakes and you need to have a, a hard look at it because that's not, I, I, I'm, I was done making apologies for the for God. both all, both all good and all powerful God who made all things out of nothing. Like, and this is the best we could do. This is the best, this is the best version mm-hmm. that makes no sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to me. And so, yeah, like I, I refuse to believe yeah, like the, it was, it was a greatest hit 2000 years ago. Like I'm sure it was the most progressive the, right. the best, most loving thing humanity could produce possibly at the time. Like, right. You know, th- let's cherish it for that. But like, it was I, disruptive um, in the first century, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Not necessarily. You, you ruffled some feathers. Like, yeah. wow. You know, like there is no you talk Jew to a and woman? Gentile, slave and free. Like, yeah, you talked to, to a woman. Like you did slip in a racial slur there, Jesus. But hey, <laughs> exactly. Like, you did talk to her. Um, <laughs> but you know, oh, we're, 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 it's progress. <laughs> yeah, um, it's huge for the time. It's huge. Yeah. Only so, one. but it's Only but it's one. also like like the the like I actually had a mentor at one time tell me like the the role of a priest is like to know the tradition so well that they can then move it forward. Hmm. Um, and I feel like the pastoral role in as it exists in evangelicalism is antithetical to that idea. Like we Mm. don't move the tradition forward. Absolutely not. We can serve. We like, we, we rein it in, we protect it. We keep it. We, we are the frozen chosen here, you know, and that's not just Calvinist. That's just all stripes of evangelicals is, is this like, we have to freeze dry everybody like, okay, they said the sinner's prayer. Great. No more growth. Like, right. you, like <laughs> You've done at it. all. Well, and yet, and yet, You're what's done. crazy is that one of the great cries of the Reformation was "Semper Reformanda." It's like we're always reforming. We should never yes. stop doing it. Um, it was such a, it was such a, 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 a fracture 
in the 16th century, when when Protestants turned into reformers, you know, we went from protesting what 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 we were seeing to having to try and reform it, and there was a split. And the whole thing was, no, we got to keep doing this. And yet, and th there was a point where I was like, and there's actually a lyric in a song on my last, my latest record that, that um, is like Easter eggs for all my reformed friends. But it's like where basically I, the, the lyric is, um, uh, maybe, maybe the problem, uh, uh, let's see, may, 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 maybe, well, I, it's, I wrote it. How can I not remember? Yeah. But it's, I'll, I'll I paraphrase. Right I, it's, here if you need me to grab it's, the it's the living, I'm going to give you the living Bible. Um, um, but basically the, the idea is maybe the problem is that I'm not reformed enough. Uh, if I'm not willing to stand and hammer more theses up mm -hmm. questioning what doesn't belong, um, like the God that's made up of everything we got wrong. You know, that's kind of the idea. So it's like, it's like, th these were just men. They're just men, men and women. But like they were, you know, they were, they were people. They were people who did this, who, who protested, who, who, who took these stands. Why do we think we can't do it today and prune out things that don't belong, that don't make sense, that are not aging well, that don't, why do, why do we think that only happened to a special group of people? The canon was far closed at that time for all of my folks who are concerned about that sort of thing. But it's like, and yet things were being declared that are like Bible now, like yes. the, the whole foundations of the Protestant faith all happened after the canon was closed. So it's like there, there were no, I mean, arguably there were no special people at that point. So it's like mm -hmm. Martin Luther, love him or hate him. He was a, just a dude who saw a problem. He called it out. He got in trouble. He caused a big fight. And if you're anything other than Roman Catholic today, then, you know, you're, it's, it's in some part thanks to him. And, 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 and we can step into that role. And so it's like, I have a, a great friend who, um, I, I've already mentioned Dave Bazan once tonight and I, he's a, He's a friend, but I'm a bigger fan than we are friends. And he is phenomenal. Um, has been such an he, important part of my journey anyway. for decades for me as well. And I remember decades. somebody saying about Dave and about the writing he was doing when he was really the the lone voice in the wilderness, really doing it. Not hardly anybody. Yeah. There, there are some others now that have contributed, but um, and they were saying that to them it was. I don't know if they were trying to like reclaim him, or if it was they were really paying him a compliment, or if it was just perspective. I don't know, but they basically said. That they were like, well, you realize though that what Dave is doing is very much in the biblical tradition. Yeah, it is the mm -hmm. way that he's questioning and calling it out. I mean, it's like you know whoever wrote most of the Psalms, David or whoever wrote some of those. Like that's what he's doing. He's crying out and he's questioning and he's like it's very much in the biblical tradition to do this. I mean, you know, Luther arguably did it at one time, and there's there so many others. That's just such a big one. But it's like it's. It's not even outside of the major overarching tradition to do this. It's and something, uh, Sarah, that you said a second ago, it sparked for me that like when people start to have a hard time with it is it's not just when you lose all your words for yourself. Um, and it's what I thought you meant when you were saying a minute ago. And, and I think you were making a different point, but it's what it made me think is it's when they no longer have language for you. Yes. That yes. drives people crazy mm. when they don't know how to, because if people can't categorize you, then they can't reduce you and simplify you and they can't dismiss complicated parts of you. Yeah. So they Absolutely. have to look at you unfiltered. It's too much information. People can't. And so they go bananas. Like people go crazy when they can't. And so when you are, as Justin, you were saying, like when you're in a season of preoccupation about 
identifiers and categories and, and words and identifiers and isms and like that you identify yourself with. It makes it so easy for people because my God, you can just go to somebody's, you know, social media bio and you can find out what all their isms are and you can Christian you can, husband, father, you can get it all. You can get it all. All the identifiers are <laughs> yeah. right there, all the categories. But when you're out of a season or out of a preoccupation in general in your life with that sort of thing, people just, it's, you're too complicated and people get so mad, especially if you slip in some of their language that they recognize and they're like, Hey, 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 like you don't need business. That's my, that's mine. That's ours. <laughs> that is not yours. Yeah. You're not, not anymore. Us. You don't get to talk about that. Yeah. It's crazy. I, it's crazy. Yeah. Anyway. They hate that. So they hate it. it I'm loving this. You're going to take Let's a break. Let's keep you? driving people crazy after we take a break. <laughs> You're so much better at it than me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, so we're, we were, we left the conversation at, um, frustrating people and I want to continue to do so. Uh, and it's fun and I, because it is, and it is like when you were talking about Derek about like, cause I, I know the Bible honestly better than most fundamentalists. Right. Truly. Right. Um, and my other podcast, Tori and I, we read an article by this guy uh, that was basically a, a treatise on why women are terrible or something. It was it was ridiculous. But we oh, just wow. kind of like we read it and we just took it down and we got to his like his scriptural backing for his arguments. And I'm like, you're bad at this. <laughs> like it was it was just not even like it's you know, you want to argue the Bible. You can argue the Bible a lot of different ways. But yeah. it's like you're just bad. Right. Like if you're going to use like use it better. And I just right. remember like your, your exegesis is terrible. And I just like tore it down that way. Like right. even just from, I'll get in your tradition for a second and you're bad. Right. You're not I will good play only by your rules. Uh, yes. Yeah. Not the ones that I actually and, know are the real. Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's fun for me. Yes. Um, I know. It's, a, it's a delight. Um, but I think it, I think it also, I, I think there, there is a role in that too, because yeah. like we've been talking like that to me, that is the prophetic role. And I think maybe when I'm thinking about that's probably not the pastoral role. Right. I mean, you right. don't, um, Interesting. you know, I think of, um, like I think of someone like Pete Rollins or something yeah. who's great. I don't want him to, I don't want to sit in that every Sunday. Right. Um, probably not. Maybe some people do. I don't. <laughs> Um, right. And, and, but I, it is interesting that as we're like, you know, this is, this is a podcast primarily for pastors, although we have, we have a lot of people that are volunteers, a lot of people that mm. are musicians or just people that just kind of spun out of evangelicalism. Yeah. I wonder if some of this isn't, it, I mean, it's obviously a shifting of faith, but I also think sometimes it's just a shifting of role. Like yeah. the role, yes. like I was, I was passionate about religion and, and religion connecting people and, and moving the tradition forward. And then I was like, Oh, you're interested in that. Here's the role you get pastor. Right. 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 Um, which and I, don't, I don't even say this pejoratively. A pastor's job is just to take care of people and keep them happy and satisfied and like mentally stable through the, you know, that that's really, I think that's a, a lot of the pastor's job and that's not necessarily the prophet's job or that's not necessarily the job of the, the, um, agitator for good. Right. <laughs> um, and so I think some, maybe some of us chafed just because that role yes. was just the, that's the role. That's the only role you're offered, um, that comes with a paycheck, but, uh, that's not the role we fit in. No, so no, much. I love, I love that. I love that language. Cause it's like, 
it's like uh, when like so so the uh, the prophetic role arguably is like to speak truth to power, and yeah, and you pivot into that naturally when there is a vacuum of truth being spoken to power, and especially if you determine that maybe you're the power, and you have left the truth somewhere in the mm-hmm. in all the negotiating and. So it it is I I I understand that as a as an extremely complicated kind of metamorphosis of somebody who at one point is trying to be pastoral in the way they're trying to shepherd the general the the spiritual well being of a community of people and then all of a sudden they realize that there is a vacuum of truth um, and and there is a power differential that is out of balance. And they and you, I, I think it happens very naturally with people. I think a lot of pastors probably find themselves slowly just pivoting, probably at such a pace that they don't even realize it's happening in real time. They just kind of starts to slide over into like a little more of a challenge, probably initially to themselves and their own, and um, and then all of a sudden you find yourself. And of course, we know what happens when the pastor makes the full transition to profit. Um, then they're get you're getting kicked out. I mean, there's just <laughs> mm-hmm. e- either you're leaving or you're getting escorted. But it's like you're you don't you don't typically stay. It's really really rare to stay. And you lose people. I think about. Um, I don't know why this reminded me. Maybe it's because we we're talking to you, Derek. But um, I had when I was in grad school, I was friends with a pretty well known punk band, and uh, they were, you know, super you know, heavy in some ways. Um, and I went to go see them and the drummer and I were like hanging out before and, um, him and I were talking, he's like, I don't, I don't even like punk music anymore. He's like, I don't even listen to it. Cause I was like, what are you listening to these days? And he was like, you want, I think he might've said Dave was one actually. He's like, I don't right. know. I'm like super into like folk and this like alt country stuff. that was just sort of coming out. It was like, mm-hmm. cause I had just gone and seen like Rosie Thomas or something. And he was like, yeah, okay, you get it then. Like I've kind of like shifted into that. And he's like, but I'm touring with a punk band and I have to write punk band music because no one's going to buy our non punk band album. And the truth is you think about artists like Justin Timberlake, who like puts that album out that doesn't sound like quote unquote him. And we're like, "Mm, no, thank you. I would like you actually to put out stuff that's you. And I think that's the way, the way Mm -hmm. of the artist or the, the way of, pastor or prophet or whatever it is, it's like, we, we almost don't allow people to shift or change, but we do idealize the people who do. So Martin Luther shifted and changed. And then we're like, okay, but that's as far as it goes. And then, right. You know, artists right. make these moves and, and it's like, we allow them within a certain thing. And then as soon as you're not who you used to be correct and neither should you be. Um, and I think it's scary. Right. And I feel like it comes back again to a, uh, dissonance of language because all of a sudden, like you think about all the great, all great artists, in my opinion, um, do exactly what you're talking about. Like they defy expectation and they defy, um, category and they defy. So for instance, like, um, you know, uh, U2 back in the day, you know, they, they made, they put, they put out this record, the Joshua tree was this huge, one of the biggest records of all time. 
And then the very next thing they did was this record called Octung Baby, which they have mm-hmm. described, Bono's described as the sound of four men chopping down the Joshua tree. And it's like, it's like such an right. experimental, like weirdo, like they lost so many, they actively, Radiohead does this on every record. Like yeah. they are, yeah. they are actively trying to challenge. They are a challenge. Like Tom York, especially in almost everything he, that's like his ethic. It's, it's like his thing he brings to everything mm-hmm. is it's a, it's like a challenge. It's a, it's a, and it's a rub. It's like, that's, it's, it's dissonance. That's what he's, uh, he, that's, that's like his tools of the trade. And, um, and it's, it's so good for people. But the thing is like, initially people will hate it. And then over time they come to love it and then they expect it. And then when you do it again, they want the thing that you did last time that they hated when you first did. And <laughs> that tends to be, and so it's tough. It's tough. And especially, and I'm, as I think about how that would translate, what the analog would be to people who are shepherding faith communities, like how in the world could you do that? And I do feel for a lot of my friends, I have a lot of friends who are ex-pastors who work themselves out of the job because by the same, like here, let me back up and say it like this. I said earlier that in my uh, opinion, a great description for the uh, great job description for a creative is to look at the world and describe it. Look at the world, tell us what you see. That's the job description. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and I think that and and I've often said when people would get upset with me because they wanted me to make my previous record again or a record I made ten years ago again or they they whatever it is. Uh, you know, I miss the old Kanye or whatever. And so it's like when, and, and, but when you, but when you do that, my only defense is, listen, all I do is look at the world and describe it. My creative ethic has been consistent the entire time. I cannot help. You can't always help your source material. And like every variable in that description changes all the time. The world that I am looking at and trying to describe is changing constantly. I am constantly changing as I try to describe the world. It's, I could stand in the same place, look at the same thing and describe it a completely different way or not even think to describe it at all, that it doesn't have any particular meaning to me. And that's the difference if you're doing it right. And so the, the, and that's, that's becomes like, I'm imagining a pastor kind of saying, listen, I'm still doing the same thing the, the, the when you, when you loved what I was telling you. I was approaching mm-hmm. all of this the same way. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at the world. I'm looking at the Bible. And I'm telling you what I see. This is just what I, this is what I see. The circumstances are different now than they were then. And there are things that need to be addressed. And maybe you're receiving my pastoral intention as provocation and prophetic word, but I am, yeah. I am doing it because I love you. And it's, this is like on my very first record that, that was, I said it, I said like, the reason I do this is because it's not because I'm trying to like dismantle and, and, and pull the thread out from underneath the church, the whole church idea or whatever. It's because I cared so much that I would do this work. Yeah. And it's not because I'm trying to destroy a thing. It's because I love a thing and I want a thing to survive and to thrive and I see it eating itself. And so a pastoral intention becomes a prophetic word and that's what happens, but you back your way into it. And the ones who don't do it are the ones who probably care less yeah, and so it's like so the weird the weird comfort in it is if you are a person who found yourself, you know, being escorted out or leaving as a result of a pastoral intention becoming a prophetic, you know, provocation. If that's you, and you're looking at like why couldn't I've just been like you know these these other friends who managed to stay in it, whatever. 
I mean, I'm not making a judgment on anybody, but it's like one way you could have done it is to have cared less. Yes. And to have said, you know what? I'm not going to bring this up. I'm not, I'm just going to, it's not that in, to talk yourself out of it. But you cared so much that you couldn't say nothing and you couldn't not describe the world that you were seeing and you did it and you did it just like you always did it to a different result this time. That is not your fault. It is not your fault that that happened. You were following your ethic the right way and the way you always did. And it was the world and you and everything changed. And so, and, so, and I think that's what, like, I think the people sometimes think like, you changed or like, you don't care anymore yes. or you, whatever it is. It's like, no, all this has happened because I cared so much. And that's why I keep fucking talking about it. Like here in 2024, I'm still like, as we speak right now, like it, it is February, the you know first week of February, 2024. I last year put out a record called the Jesus Hypothesis. I'm fully whatever people want to say, fully deconstructed or whatever it is. I'm permanently uncertain about invisible, unknowable things. Um, I love but, I love the term fully deconstructed. Yeah, it's just whatever it is. It exactly. Yeah, I, I am yeah. permanently Animal. uncertain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When it yeah. Com- when it comes to invisible things like God, unknowable things like the future, I am permanently uncertain about it, and I don't think there's any other way to be. And so, in that state, that's the state that I present myself to you. I literally. So last year I made my first record ever with Jesus in the title. And right now as we speak, I am working on like an EP of songs about the fruits of the spirit for God's sake. I'm ma- I'm literally mm-hmm. making I'm writing songs actively about the fruit on the tree, mm-hmm. like about the argument between Paul and James. Like yeah. I don't have a dog in the fight and I still care so much about it and about yes. what it means to people. And and that I'm I still can't get free of it. And it's not because I'm making light or I'm trying to poke at it or I, I'm trying to, you know, like go, go out like Jerry Maguire, you know, kicking and screaming. It's not like that. I really care. I really, it really means that much to me. And I really want to help mm-hmm. people think very thoroughly and critically and surgically about it in order to really know what they know, you know, or not. And anyway, yeah. it's just so interesting. And the, yeah. And it's, it's an interesting accusation that I think a lot of folks get, which is the, like, we don't know who you are anymore. Or, or who do you think you are is another one way of saying that. But it's like, right. for me, I, you know, I've told my story enough times on enough podcasts to like, and I've, I've gotten a different perspective on it. And it's like, I was my, I was fully myself on every step of that journey. Yes. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I approached the LGBTQIA question problem. It's they're, they're, they're people, but just that's how I would have phrased it at the time as me. And I came to the answers I did based on who I was, you know, like, so it's, it's yes. I came to a conclusion that you didn't like denomination parents, whoever, but it's like, I, I was me the whole time. And I still am. And I still am like, it just because I came to precisely the same. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because I get old, you get older, you get more information, you change, you grow like, and, and, and people can not like that. And maybe they want the old you back and that's great. But it's like, you know, when Taylor Swift turned 30, she released folklore. Like I remember the first, like the first lick of that album, I was like, she's 30 now, isn't Mm -hmm. she? Like, (laughs) just just like this, this feels like a 30 year old's album. Like, you know, I love that. And yeah. Like, and that's fine. You know, and 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 it's and it's I when think I was a child, should... I thought like I spoke like a child, you know. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And so I think we we need to make that space for folks to continue to be themselves in every era and with every bit of information they find. And yeah. I think just withholding information it doesn't work. 
Yeah. And then challenge right. who's asking you to stay. Yeah. Like the patriarchy and, and the systems want you to stay. Right. Um, yeah. You know, we're like, how did we get to this? Well, we got to this because uh, it was real comfortable for some people for the status quo to remain the status quo. That's exactly right. And I think mm -hmm. the number of times I've been uncomfortable with someone shifting when I really relate and like look back on it, I'm like, what am I trying to hold? Like, what do I want to remain the same? And who is that serving? Right. right. Is it God? No, often it's, right. it is this like notion. I, I, I remember thinking I had a pastor who was guys, he was a universalist. Can you believe? Oh, hope. Can you believe? Oh no. And I remember being, why was he even a pastor? I, know, I remember saying to him like, <laughs> well, that doesn't work for people who like, I just come back from Uganda and I was like, that doesn't work for people in Uganda if if they think that this is all there is, instead of wondering, why is this all there is for those people? Instead, right. I was like, you're taking their heaven from them. Instead of going, right. Sarah Heath, like think about the systems that like make a poverty tourism a thing. Right. That's not who I was traveling with, but the, a lot of that was happening at that time. Right. And I just think... You know, I, I love, I love people can hold it with such looseness. Um, I was at a thing that Richard Rohr invited some of us to, and we were just like hanging out with him. And, and he is brilliant. And it isn't just his words. It is literally his presence. I can't explain it. It is a mm -hmm. joy. Uh, literally, he was sitting in front of a window and there was like, for some reason, like the, the light was right behind him. And my friend Scott Erickson and I were sitting beside each other. Scott leans over and he's like, does he have a halo? <laughs> I was like, he does indeed. Um, but he was <laughs> like, right. I was speaking at an event and this guy said to me, he raised his hand with such earnestness and says, so you're a universalist. And I just had to clap my hands and say, now you're getting it. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> with such joy that this kid at this Christian college who wanted to like condemn him and he's like right. saying you've that, gone too far and, and like that was his like, shot across the bow and he right. thanked him for it and he's like oh, yeah, thank you thank you you're hearing me I you know and this loveliness of like <laughs> like it's oh, so great. That's not the it's worst so thing great. someone can say to you. Well, and also because he's no longer afraid of language. He's not afraid of words. He's not afraid of like, that doesn't mean those categories, that those words don't mean anything. It doesn't yeah. mean anything. Yeah. yeah. I, like, I, I want to be that. Because imagine how disarming that is. And I hope right. that the way. Because then what's, what's the follow-up? What's the, what's the, what's the, if that was your left, what's your right punch? <laughs> yeah. It's you know, like, like what? Because you're not sure right. what to do. <laughs> you just fall into the guy. <laughs> like, yeah. It's clapping his hands and be like, yes. Love it. You got it. And that's it. why I have been like, so I brought up the whole fruits of the spirit thing. That's why I've been so preoccupied um, after the last year or so um, with, um, just doing, just working, just doing my work or just, you know, following my creative instincts and like I always have and, um, which in the last year has le led me right into, uh, a wig and a dress and, uh, yeah, we've got it. Out we with, will close out talking about that in just a second. Hanging out with folks like Flamey Grant and, um, who I'm on tour with right now is one of my great friends. And anyways, she's, amazing. it's just, it's, she's amazing. And, and, but, but yeah, like, uh, it's, it's interesting that, um, oh man, I, I, I'm trying not to lose because something you were talking about when you were talking about, when you're telling that roar story, um, man, what was it? What was it that that reminded me of? Cause I'm, uh, I, I really wanted to try to remember, um, 
Oh, yeah. So I was talking about the, the, the fruits of the Spirit, why I've been so preoccupied with it. Because watching the way that people responded over the last, and all the most predictable people, and, it's, and, and I'm not trying to th- you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to categorizing evangelicals, especially the people, their spokespeople online or whatever, but the, the response we got back from so many hundreds and thousands of people um, and, and people with hundreds of thousands of listeners um, who were criticizing him really hard on Flamey and on, on me and some and, and others. Um, what I all drilled down to at the end of it was, like, as I mentioned at the very beginning of this conversation, like, for me, it's like about evidence. Like, I like to be able to point to a thing and say, but mm-hmm. what's real? What can I know about this, though? And that's why I came back around to the fruits of the Spirit and the, and the fruit on the tree, the evidence, you know, where, where it talks about the fruit that is hanging on the branch is the evidence of what is buried in the ground. Right. So you can say all day long that you believe in a loving God and you're an evangelical and you're a Christian dad or whatever's in your fucking social media bio. <laughs> you can say mm-hmm. all that. But guess what? Guess what I'm actually going to listen to? Is because that so that's what you're that's an invisible thing that's a thing that you're claiming that's buried under the ground we can't see that but yeah, that's what you're telling me is there but let me tell you what I'm seeing let me tell you the behavior let me tell you the fruit hanging right. on the branches it is yeah. fear it is aggression it is homophobia it is racism it is bigotry it is and let me tell you something I am done I'm I'm I am taking people at their word I, my encouragement for people be it your family people you deal with online, your friends, people in your former faith community, take people at their word. And when people clearly communicate to you with their behavior that they are racist and bigoted and transphobic, and when they clearly communicate this to you and they try to tell you, no, 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 but I'm not really, it's not, but then they, here it is though, fruit right on the tree, hanging right there, plain to see. It's not complicated. It's simple. It's simple. Look at people, look at their behavior mm-hmm. and, and then take them at their word. Believe them when they tell you, believe them when they show you. And that is all you need. That, there's the evidence. There it is. Because a, a, a faith that hangs on the branch like racism and homophobia and bigotry is not a saving faith, no. not playing by the rules that those people claim to play by. And so it's like, and that's what matters. And even their own book says that's what matters. I used to think that Paul and James were like in a fight, you know, forever with each other. And they're not. Because what James is talking about is like, it is the quality of the faith that I'm talking about. And it naturally, the aroma of it is like this. And what it displays clearly is this. And this is the thing you cannot fake, not forever and not with everybody. And so it's like the thing, the person you really are, it's very easy to look when you look at what's hanging on the branch and in terms of people's behaviors you can clearly see what they're believing in. You can clearly see what's un- what's invisible under the ground. It's clear to see, clear. And and if there's a disconnect, if there's a if there's if there's dissonance between someone's social media bio and their behavior online, believe the behavior. That's what James would tell you to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the fruit on the tree. Believe that. And if you see the opposite, if you hear someone claiming to be deconstructed and confused and agnostic and everything that you think you're deathly fearful about and you think is evil and of the devil and whatever, but you see the fruit coming out of them as deep kindness and radical welcome and reputation ruining love, then you need to take them at their word too. That's the fruit on the tree also. And, and, and I think that that speaks to something, to a reality of what's buried under the ground, even if they don't 
know what's buried under there. I don't know what's under the ground for me. I don't know what's buried down there. But what I can tell you is what I care about is gratitude and kindness and, 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 you know, it's like, these are the things that my wife and I, that our family and I, this is what I care about. And when people want to talk to me about whatever theology and they want to debate a thing or they want to, you know, whatever it is, try to catch me out in a, you know, clever bit of oversimplified Christian philosophy and a little quip or whatever. I'm like, listen, that's all fine. I don't care. We could talk about that all day. I don't really, it's fine. Like by the time you, we got to this conversation, I knew everything I needed to know. Um, like if you walk in the room and you show me your radical welcome and kindness and love self, your, your reputation, ruining love. If I see that coming off you, I, I let's, I'll, t- I'll step all night with you. I can't, I want to hear everything about what you, what you've got buried under the ground. If you come in yeah. and I see your aggression and your hatred and bigotry and your racism, and I see, and I see your behavior supporting those energies and those characteristics, I'm not interested I'm not even going to have the debate with you. I'm not interested in what is under the ground in reality or what you claim is down there. It doesn't make any difference to me. I care about you, but I'm not interested in in it because I I see, I saw before you said your first word to me about it, it was very clear. It's on, you don't realize how on display it is. And you can't, the more you try to keep the bad things you have buried from coming out on the branch, the more it displays. I mean, like that becomes what's displayed. So it's plain everybody to see. And I think we just need to start taking people at their word, be it their kindness or their aggressive, combative hatred, whatever it is, believe people, believe them, believe them when they show and communicate to you who they are. Believe them. I love that. Yeah, yeah it's good. as Maya Angelou, Miss Maya Angelou would say, when someone tells you who they are, believe them. That's it. That's exactly, that's exactly and it's, it. And that's it's it. the, you know, we, we do that. We joked earlier about, you know, it's a, d- leaving ministry is like a divorce, right? But in some ways, once someone shows you who they are, you can't, you can't care or love them into being something you, you have to just show up. Yeah. And then that is what it is. And, or and stop it, showing up. Yeah. Yeah. Or stop showing up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, the piece here is this like, we, pay attention and then make your decision about how you can be safely around. You know, I, yes, it is difficult uh, to not feel a responsibility to try to change people to become more loving, but truly the number of times I hear from people, it's not people's words. It's when they saw someone else able to do it. When they saw that rat, when they saw someone willing to throw their reputation out the door. I had a friend weep one time to me and say, you really love me. And I was like, I don't know what's happening here. And she was like, you don't understand. I've never known anyone like you who would love me. And, and you don't realize it because you're just doing the thing that is under there and the thing that comes naturally to you. And Mm -hmm. then it bothers you because there are people in the world that that's not their natural inclination. And we have to figure out a way to be able to be present more and more to people who need that radical love that is interested in who you actually are and not in who I want you to be. Yeah. And if there are people who are hanging around y'all's space who are concerned about not knowing where they are or not knowing who they are, what I would say is let, give yourself a sabbatical from the preoccupation of knowing who you are and knowing precisely what's buried under the ground and let yourself make judgments based on the things you can see. Mm-hmm. And that is like, is what I'm believing 
about reality in the world, about invisible reality, is it making me kinder? And is it making me more loving? And is it making me more compassionate? And is it making more radically welcoming? And is it making me want to lay my reputation down for people and not care about who, what people think if I know that I'm loving people who culture sees compli- as complicated? Like, these are the questions. And it's like, and if you can see that, don't worry about, maybe just give yourself a break from worrying about what's under the ground and can it save you? Or if you even need to be saved. Get, let, let, be satisfied with the evidence, which is, are you now versus who you were more loving, more kind, more compassionate, more patient, more self-controlled? Just rattle them off. And it's, it's strange and not surprising to me that it was my personal experience and been experienced a lot of my friends that they found themselves more aligned with those, those called out fruits of the spirit on the other side of so-called deconstruction than they ever had been uh, before. And, and mm-hmm. let yourself, let yourself look at and for those things and stop worrying for a minute about the invisible stuff. Don't worry about it for a minute. You know what I mean? Oh, I just love it. I think that's, yeah. I'm just, this is a great place to end. I'm so grateful for this conversation. I'm so grateful Me for too. you for your work and for the way you see the world um, and that it shifts and that you're willing to share yeah. that with us. Let's talk again in like six months. It'll be totally different. <laughs> I love it. That's the that's thing. You can do that. I used to say this all the time about my preaching. If there wasn't something I preached about that embarrasses me now, then what's the point? Like I, I yes. look back in sermons yeah. and I'm like, oh, come on, tiny baby Sarah. Right. <laughs> what was I that? say it at every show. I'm like, I'll play any request you call out, but I have to do, give a disclaimer before to say that I am not as I stand before you tonight, the person who wrote that song. And, mm-hmm. and, and, mm-hmm. and because who is trustworthy, who still believes and agrees with hundred percent of what they did five, 10, 20 years ago, that's a person who's coming into no new information, who's not growing or evolving or learning anything. And so I couldn't, I couldn't, I shouldn't be trusted. So I will, but I will play the song for you. Just know that I'm covering another man's material. Like that's what is actually happening. <laughs> Now that other man is me, but oh sure, it was a Groucho <laughs> Marx who said my wife's been married to a dozen men and they're all me or whatever. I don't remember who I don't remember who said it, but it's some great comedian. But it's like no, I've been a handful of people over the course of my career. All those people, unfortunately or whatever, have written songs, and I, as I present myself in real time, am stuck with that as my personal liturgy that I am stuck and doomed to confess forever. So I have to pick out of these songs ones I feel like I can say, and some I have to say, you know what, this is not where I'm at. But you might be, and it belongs because it's part of how I got here. And it's so it is hook. part of me. It's <laughs> part of me. It's part of my story. And so I'll I'll say it. But it's no different than a friend saying, "Here's a snapshot I took of a thing 20 years ago when I stood there. If I stood there today, I might not have even I might not take this picture. It wouldn't look the same. And I've got I don't see it the same. And it's but but we can talk about this snapshot. I mean, I'm not. I, I it, it's a snapshot from a long time ago. But we can talk mm-hmm. about it. I can show it to you. But that doesn't mean I'm back there 20 years now. I'm here, you know, tonight, here. So, yeah, yeah uh, that's, that's what it is. Derek, what can we share with folks who um, are listening? They need to check out the end of yeah. the end of the world tour. What is it called? End of time. The end of, the end of days end to of her. End of days, that's it. Nice. Yes, because Flamey and I were told by uh, an unnamed... Uh, cur- long, curly, blonde-haired MAGA worship leader. That when he, when, when she and I got together and started doing work together, because we had both duetted on each other's albums, and when 
when a certain large audience having very conservative worship leader found out about that, basically called us out online and said, with a picture that we'd taken together, actually it was us and Jennifer Knapp, who's a great friend of both of ours, and uh, Tiffany Mm. Arbuckle from Plum, who is another great friend. The four of us were together in a picture. And this person literally said, like, CCM artists, uh, you know, uh, collaborating with drag queens, this is indeed the end of days. And so we were like, oh my God. Well, first of all, we thought it must be like the living Bible, which is a paraphrase. In there is something about like ex-CCM artist with drag queens and like the releasing of a horse. I mean, like that was, that's clearly written somewhere in some (laughs) translation. And we just, I'm, I'm not surprised that, but. Well, Grace wasn't in that photo. If Grace had been in that photo, there it is. No, yeah, that, that was a later photo when we all went to the gloves <laughs> together. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so it's like, well, if this is the end of days, then we're going to go out with a bang. We're, we're, let's like one last tour. Um, so we're two weekends in and we're touring all the way through April or May. The shows are amazing. They are amazing. And we're playing in a surprising number of churches, um, you know, because we put the call oh, wow. out for anyone to host these. Some are in people's literal houses. We did one last weekend in a in a in an art gallery like a studio we we've done some in churches and so it's like you never know what you're walking into but you know me and a drag queen will be there so it's like you're it's a safe place yeah. and so please come yeah so so that tour with me and flamey if you don't know flamey grant miss flamey grant's music then please go check that out um she is hard to miss and she's fantastic um the tour we're doing together you can see all the dates and get tickets for that at um end of days tour.com Otherwise, mm-hmm. just, I don't know, wherever you can find me, DerekWeb.com. I mean, Spotify, everywhere. I'm just Derek Webb, D-E-R-E-K-W-E-B-B. Go find me. I'd love, I, if I, here's the thing I say about what I do at this point. The music I make is for hardly anybody. And actually, it's for almost nobody. Um, but what that means is the few people who my music is for, it's, it, it's really for, potentially. And so, like, have a look. And if it's, if it's not for you, you'll know in a second. And please don't you feel obligated to listen but if you're one of those very few people it might it might be a close to the bullseye so i hope mm-hmm. i can provide some language that's comforting so come check yeah, it out it's great thank you so much for uh being here thank you so much friends for listening to another episode of recovery and um i know that you got some great stuff out of this so have a great week right, we'll see you bye thanks so much for listening to to the end here, uh, when we talk about the poem and kind of just do a little reflective piece, um, for those of you that maybe you're like me, you're like, Ugh, a poem. Uh, I don't know if I want to down. I think I might be done here. Um, I would invite you to not, uh, because sometimes poems and songs and quotes and things, they can hit us in ways and kind of move things around, um, that I, I want us to sit with for a little bit. And I, and I felt like um, this being our episode with Derek Webb, I felt like uh, some lyrics from a song would be uh, appropriate. And I wanted to, I wanted to just give a few lyrics from Bob Dylan, uh, who is an incredible singer songwriter and someone who I've certainly drawn inspiration from and, and hopefully you will as well. Uh, I just want to, this is uh, from his song, the times they are a changing. It's just the first verse. And I think it's appropriate as we think about what the next thing is and how we are part of each other's journeys into that. And um, yeah, I just want us to sit with this for a second. It says this, 
Come mothers and fathers throughout the land, and don't criticize what you can't understand. Your sons and your daughters are beyond your command. Your old road is rapidly aging. Please get out of the new one if you can't lend your hand, for the times they are a-changing. We are in a constant state of evolution, of process, and of change. And it's easy to criticize when people change or move in ways that we can't quite understand. Um, And so I invite us to pause for a second and to consider our journey and consider the journeys of others and to lend a hand where we're able. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.